You're listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A-List Online, and my name is Andrew Mackay-Smith. The interview subject that I have coming up for you is Andy Dowling. Andy is a podcaster supreme, it must be said. He's got two podcasts. One of them is called the Andy Social Podcast, and the other one, and I believe he's been nominated for some awards with this one, is called the Self Starter Podcast. The reason for the conversation, though, is to promote the album that he's recorded with his comrades in Lord. It's called Fallen Idols, and I must tell you, as I mentioned through the conversation, it's a contender for album of the year. So let's have a listen to what Andy has to say. Here we go. Not too bad yourself. Mate, plugging away, just the usual grind with the kids and swimming and getting them home from school and all the rest of it, but I can't complain, mate, too much. You know, it's just life. <laughs> you know, we well, sign up. Yeah, we, okay. we sign up for these things whether we like it or not when you have kids, you know, and you've just got to do it. But it's it's all right. I'm just trying to get one of my daughters up to the next level in a swimming class. But oh, right. um have you got have you got kids? No, I don't. I've got a I've got a pet cockatiel uh called Larry, Larry Bird. And Larry Bird. Um, that's uh that's a far that's enough responsibility for me. That's close enough. Well what you want them to do, you want them to put in the requisite effort that actually gets a pass mark in front of whoever it is that's instructing them. And they did that tonight. And instead of usually when they're swimming, they're doing corkscrews when they should be doing backstroke and all this sort of stuff. And, and I mean, you know, our part of the world here, mate, if you don't swim, that's a danger. You know, they've been swimming since they're bet two. Oh, right. You right. know, and uh, we're on the sunny coast a lot. And they're always in the pool or at the beach or doing something like that. And they're only four and six years of age, but I never, ever want them to be in a position where they can't handle themselves if they accidentally get put into a pool or something. Well, it's a good call. Um, uh, my parents certainly didn't didn't do that, and um, it wasn't until I was well, geez, uh, probably well into school, and uh, had to go through the dreaded you know, uh, swimming lessons, and uh, mm. I, I struggled. Um, I think not just the the actual swimming part, but I think just the the fear of water and just trying to work yourself out and navigate how how to handle it all. And mm. uh, I saw a lot of other other friends that sort of were just you know not literally speaking, but thrown into the pool at a, at a very, very young age and were yep. able to adapt. So it's um, it's a very important thing to do. Yeah, Mate, you're from up my way, aren't you? Are you from D-Bay or Scarborough? Oh, very close. Uh, yeah, born and bred in Clontarf. Oh, there you go, mate. I was only there. My mother's got a place there, actually, at Redcliffe, so we're just up there yeah, on the right. weekend. Um, nice part of the world, man. Yeah, it's certainly... I don't know if the right word is gentrifying, but it's definitely happening. There was some of those old, you know, traditional Redcliffe shacks opposite some pretty palatial-looking places that people are building at the moment. So it's definitely, you know, where Moncomo is around there. I do. My, my yeah. mother's place is just next to that, so you know where I'm talking oh, about. Oh, excellent. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. It's um, it was. I mean, what my, my well, my mum grew up in Roma, and uh, moved to Redcliffe um, with her family, I think when she was in her mid-teens. But um, mm. they used to always go there for holidays. And sort of in the 50s, 60s, 70s, it was the holiday destination. Everyone travelled from regional Queensland to, yeah. to Redcliffe and would have their little holiday places and rent a place out in caravan parks, etc. And it was this destination. And then I think sort of 80s into 90s, it just went in the opposite direction. And, you know, it was coined the term dead cliff <laughs> for years there. <laughs> it was just nothing going. It was like a retirement village. And... Um, and it's pretty much, I mean, I moved to, I think I moved to Sydney end of, no, beginning of 2006. And it was only around that time and since then that they just pumped money into the place. Yeah. You know, obviously, like anywhere in the country, uh, you know, 
property value and house value have gone up through the roof and mm. it's just uh it's it's a destination now again so it's um it's nice to go back there and i go oh man i wish it was like that when i was here <laughs> <laughs> well i'll tell you something it's, it's a... nice and my parents are still there oh is that cool yeah well let's yeah well, i was just looking there's a place um on the same street my mother's place is on mate it would probably go for about four million dollars if it was in sydney but it's going yeah. for four hundred grand up here, right? And I'm thinking, my God, I'm thinking, do I have to spare four hundred grand to buy this? I mean, it's one of those really run-down Queenslanders, so you couldn't live in it. It's land value alone. But you're starting Absolutely. to think, my God, I mean, you're literally across the street from the water. It's not, you know, it's not the beach on the Redcliffe Peninsula there, but it's sort of like the bay bit there, Morton Bay. But still, you're right near the water, and you can walk along that in the morning. I mean, God, you know, you could stay in it and do it up if you had the means and the. If you were willing, and if that's what you had, you know, you had sort of eighteen months spare in your life to do, God, it wouldn't be a bad effort. But it's, uh, yeah, there's still some opportunity there. Yeah, there's still some opportunity there from that perspective. I think, and it's a really nice part of the world. It's, um, but I mean, you, you're not being from Sydney, you know what I'm talking about. Everybody from Sydney thinks there's only three places up here: that being uh, Noosa and Bo- Noosa, Brisbane City, and Byron, and that's it. You know, <laughs> you, you know, you talk to people from Sydney, and they're like, "Oh, you know, I, I'm going up to the Sunshine Coast," but really, what they mean is Noosa. Yeah, yeah, uh, oh, absolutely. Uh, there's, um, it's, I mean, it's even worse in certain pockets of Sydney, and I'm, I'm sure you've had experience with this in the past. Where, um, for about, oh, actually, no, I did two stints. Um, in the Sutherland Shire, so I lived in Cronulla for a little bit. Oh yeah. And um, another stint, I lived in Kirrawee, and the the Shire there is the most insular. Uh, place in the world it's they they coin it god's country and they never leave so anything outside of the sutherland shire um, is foreign to them it's like going to another country let alone traveling interstate or going overseas or anything like that so it's um when i was living in that area and just talking to locals and people i met they were just uh they they couldn't grasp what was happening outside of their borders and i was just like oh geez it explains a lot their reputation but um yeah, especially if they went on any sort of luxurious, amazing holiday, it would be uh, it'd be the Goldie or something like that. It's like, oh, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Parts of the Gold Coast aren't too bad. Yeah. <laughs> Other yeah. parts steer clear. Yeah, well, I'm from the Gold Coast, actually, so it's uh, yeah. northern Gold Coast here. Yeah, we, we get a bad rap here, but um, oh, I think it's just because it's the you know the so-called glitter strip. I'm sure if you follow rugby league, you've probably been following all the issues that we've been mm. having with the Titans lately. It's, honestly, it breaks my heart, to be honest with you. Because the team was never set up appropriately to bloody begin with. A Queensland team should never wear sky blue. I'll tell you that now. Never. <laughs> okay. Being a bit parochial. But it's just the case. And I think I used to work for Telstra. I used to be an account executive. And I, I looked yeah. after them for a period. Uh, I used to look yeah, after right. the Titans. So I got didn't get intimate with them or anything like that. Like I couldn't tell you about the operations. But I knew what they were going. what was going on from an IT perspective. And... And I'm right in saying this. I'm fair. It's fair to say this because they've changed owners since, but they never had any money. And I'm thinking, why did when they set up the organisation, you know, that centre of excellence that they put in there? I know this is a bit off topic, but bear with me here. You know, the, <laughs> You're the, right. the centre of excellence, and I'm at Bond Uni these days, which is now Bond University. Mm. I remember when that was on the footy show and Fatty was crying about it. You know, as you're supposed to. You know, you're supposed to pump up these things, but you go in there and there would be like tiles and the inside of the roof missing, so you could see all the exposed electricity cables and stuff and mm. and i thought this was in about 2009 or 10 and that was even that was pretty early on in the piece from when they first came in but mate they have always had troubles that's my issue they've not my, my point here is that they've always had financial difficulties you know they've never had a leagues club starting up a club from ground up i don't even think they should have done it it should have been a like a a brisbane club from the old queensland competition that should have been rebranded and bought in and maybe just called the second brisbane team rather than the titans i'm sorry but as a gold coaster even i feel that way it's just it breaks my heart to see both of our 
those prominent teams, being the Suns and the Titans, get shellacked every bloody weekend. Yeah. It's, <laughs> you know, <laughs> drop, the, drop the mic. But it's, I mean, I think, I mean, I don't know a lot of the, the back the backstory with the Titans and sort of its origins, but what I've seen with a lot of um, sort of other examples of, uh, you know, entities and franchises uh, being sort of established or, you know, uh, new teams or whatever in the sporting world, um, you find that there's a lot of people that come into the whole um, domain with no prior connections with that industry. So, you know, people that have got a lot of money rolling the dice, looking for a short-term, you know, uh, investment, uh, mm. you know, win, windfall, and going, you know, if I pump some money into this um, in the short term, I should be able to flip it, should be able to get it into, a, totally. into, Bang into on this point. Great, uh, great territory, and then I could walk away and sell it to somebody else. But there's usually... I think you sort of work on a knee-jerk reaction. You work really quickly. You don't do a lot of that sort of insight and understanding. And these people have usually got, you know, more money than sense. And and then eventually they disappear, and someone else has got to pick up the dregs, and you just never quite catch up. And I'm, I mean, I don't know if that's if that's 100% uh, the story with the Titans, but I've certainly seen that with other. I mean, the NBL. I'm a massive basketball fan. I've seen yeah, likewise yeah. examples of that. Um, you know, over over the past several decades with with that league, and um, it's amazing to see what that what the league has done in the last couple of years um, mm. to sort of really reestablish and rebrand themselves. But, you know, it's just a bunch of a bunch of people just coming in from all sorts of different backgrounds and just, you know, oh, that sounds like fun. Let's uh, let's see what happens. Let's dump, dump a load of cash and uh, just cross our fingers and see if we can work out this, uh, this sporting thing and uh, see, if it, see if it's something worthwhile. Yeah, you make some really good points there about the NBL because I too followed. I used to play basketball, and mm. you know we had the Rollers here, which be, which then were left, yeah. and then they became the uh, Drag. No, I don't even know what they were called when they came back in when Shane Hill was in the team. I can't, I can't remember. Sorry, oh God, but, yeah, that's going back a bit. Yeah, yeah, and then um, then you had the Singapore Slingers, and you had a few other. God, there's always oh, these right. mini Victorian teams and the like. But look, I'm a Cairns fan. I go for Cairns, and uh, yeah, you know, yeah, the, great team. The Cairns, the the council has a lot to do with their success in terms of their financial because they're backed by the council up there, Cairns Regional mm. Council. And mate, those nights when they play, um, I used to work up in Cairns, and that's when I got into them again. Um, you know, you can't. You can't get there's heaps of people out. It's great. It's got a family vibe. It's got a great atmosphere. I try to go to the games down here whenever they play against the Bullets in the uh, convention center there, but it's uh, mm. doesn't quite have the same atmosphere as what it did in the nineties, you know. And I know you've interviewed Leroy Loggins, a legend, you know, for the Bullets. <laughs> you know, yeah. going to the entertainment center and when the Sydney Kings were, oh, they're sort of coming back up again, aren't they? Really, the Kings. But you need a strong Sydney and you need the Melbourne Tigers back in. That's what what else you need, not this Melbourne United business. Oh, look, it's um, it's going through a bunch of transitional phases, the NBL, and uh, certainly, I mean, it's exciting because they're, you know, you've got some guys in there that seem to be looking at a long-term strategy rather than sort of quick wins, and mm. I think they're really trying to win over, you know, the the illustrious NBA, and and a lot of a lot of young guys are actually carving out uh, the beginnings of their careers in the NBL now. It's it's almost like uh, instead of going to you know, college in the US, you come to the MDL and, and cut your teeth, and, and that's fantastic. But um, I certainly still get that vibe. I mean, I haven't been to a Bullets game since they've re-established themselves. But I mean, the I mean, it, it's like anything. You know, years 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 down the track, you sort of look back, everything looks nice and shiny and glittery, and that nostalgic vibe sort of kicks back in. But mm. uh, that the energy that you would get walking walking up to the front steps of Boondle Entertainment Centre, and mm, you know, yeah. people everywhere, and they had the little stalls out the front downstairs, and you walk up into the foyer, and and then you know, obviously walk into the main the main arena, and everything. It's just a fantastic fantastic atmosphere, and and I think 
that's, I mean, I haven't been to a, a Taipans game, but I assume that's probably got a little bit of that um, that sort of en- similar energy because it was a real family event. I mean, we used to, uh, part of my sort of uh, background, I, I lived in Rockhampton for a few years, there so I was go. up in central yep. Queensland, and mm-hmm. uh, and so we used to do holidays back down to, to Brizzy, to Redcliffe, and, and visit uh, visit the grandparents or whatnot, and um, yeah, it would be a bullets game while we're down there, you know, make make the most of it. Yeah, and make the most of it. Yeah, it was just uh, it was some great great memories. But um, I think I think what you'll find and look, I mean, I'm just I'm just you know, there's no there's no expert opinion here, but uh, I I think what we'll find is over the years to come as the NBL continues to to sort of make progress and really solidify itself, is you'll probably see a lot of. Uh, these older teams reestablish themselves and come back out of the woodworks. So I think, I think Tassie eventually get their team back. Yeah, the I think Tassie Canberra, will, but the the Cannons, the Cannons. Are probably, yeah. yeah I, and I'm, I'm I'm gunning for them to come back. They need they need the Cannons there, and and I think some of those teams will come back partly for nostalgic reasons, but I think also those local markets will start to see that there's actually monetary value mm. in in doing it. And as Cairns have done really smartly, as you said, like they've. They've linked themselves in with the council, um, and they've they've obviously lobbied quite hard to you know show the council that there's real value in mm. working together. Mm. Um, that brings must bring you know the local area a hell of a lot of money and and notoriety. So, you know, they've just got to use that formula and apply it to other parts of the country. But um, yeah, oh man, I could like if you get me talking about basketball, man, we'll be here <laughs> all night, and I'm and I'm I'm more than prepared to do so. So I'll, I'll let you uh, I'll let you run the show, then I'll try around myself. No, that's in. good, mate. Well, you're, you're a podcaster as well, so you know how these things go. But look, let's talk about this album, okay? Because you yeah. know I'm about to bestow a heap of compliments on you. You've seen my tweets and mm. about it all. And oh, look, I actually think that Fallen Idols, and I'm you know I, just, I don't say these things unless I mean it, but I do believe it's a contender for album of the year. And Thank you. you. Know, from my perspective, it's a great album with a perfect cadence for swimming. To you know that I've posted that, and I don't think people yeah. believe me until I. No, I'm glad I, I put that video right. up because to show people how I listen to music. But yeah, it's there. So I listen to it when I'm swimming at Bond and also at um, Helen's Vale Swimming Pool. Uh, the thing that I like about it, let me get to the detail. It's got an urgency that late '80s Metallica would have killed for. Now I, I don't deny that and justice for all if they got the production right would be well probably their best album to be honest with you mm. uh you know and turned up jason's wicked bass playing but they didn't do that so mm-hmm. and, and i think that elements of they elements of them getting it right in that album are here in this album here fallen idols and um there's a few choice color covers that i think you've chosen for good measure you know and we'll talk about that a bit later but you know all finished albums you know they make the creators feel a sense of pride i get that i've been part of albums and eps but but I think this is the album that you guys have been threatening to make ever since the, the Dungeon era, whenever that was, so 20, 25 years ago or so. So what are your thoughts after I bestow that compliment and issue those thoughts? <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much. Um, I, I think <clears throat> over the past several weeks, I mean, the album came out last week officially, but um, we, well, there's a long story. I won't get into it just now, but um, we were planning to release the album a lot earlier and uh, things didn't go to plan as a lot of uh, album releases tend to go. And uh, we found ourselves uh, with a tour uh, that was happening uh, before the release date of the album. So we decided that um, we would try and make the most of the situation. And we had actually, uh, we already had the album pressed locally in Australia. So we thought we'll uh, make the, the CD available shows and people mm. can uh, can pick up their copy and listen to it early. And we just thought, oh, we'll roll the dice with torrents and all sorts of stuff. And we'll just trust our fans <laughs> and hope they do the right thing. And um, over the past several weeks, um, I don't think, and look, I, tr- I try to be really modest. I think it's sort of in me. Um, I don't brag too much but um 
I've I've never received so many compliments, and us collectively as a band never received so many compliments um, about anything we've released like we have for this album. It's um, it's unexpected in a way because I think the album itself has been in the works for several years. Um, it's been six years since the last studio album, but we've done a lot in between. Yeah. Um, but we've the concept of kind of what we wanted to do and the direction we wanted to go has been there for a few years, and you know a lot of different things have happened along the way to stretch that out. Um, you know, not to not to our liking, and um, I think it got to a point where we were almost at the end of it with um, a sense of exhaustion, and we just wanted to be over and done with. And um, I think towards the end of this sort of period and going into the tour and and coming up towards the release date, I I said to the guys, and they didn't really agree with me, and I said, look, I think my opinion here, my sole opinion, is that I think. In time, and it might not be instantly, but I think this will be the album that defines us as a band. And um, Set in Stone, yeah, I think up yeah. until that point, has been that, that album that people constantly refer to and, and associate with us, um, and for good reason. And we, we did a lot of a lot of video clips. We put ourselves out there quite a bit with that album, and there's a lot of songs that still uh, stand the test of time, uh, mm. you know, um, ten, 10 odd years later. Um, but listening to this album and I had a bit of time to sort of sit and listen to it sort of a little bit detached from it all. And I thought, you know what, I think, I think potentially there's some ingredients here that could make it work and could really sort of uh, stick out against the, the rest of the back catalog and the legacy that uh, even, as you said before, the, the dungeon era as well. I mean, we've still got a lot of legacy there that we, we don't shy away from. So um, it's, it's been incredible uh, to see the reaction. I've sort of, part of me has gone, Yep. Okay. I think I think where my my gauge was going, I think we could be on the right track, but I never expected the reaction um, that we've received so far. So it's been good. It's been it's been fantastic. Yeah. Great. Great. And and more detail for you is, uh, for example, I'm a riff man, as all us metal fans mm. generally are. But mate, that pentatonic riff and bear with me here. At three yeah. minutes forty of United, the title cut. I think you know the one that I'm talking about. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mate, that is enough to make Dave Mustaine blush. He wishes he wrote that. Okay. Wait, that's. I need all these quotes to put online. I'm going to refer to all of them. Thank you, Andrew. Well, that's all good, brother. It's all meaningful, you know. But look, the point is, there's there is a trove of other killer riffs. That's just the one that really stands out for me because you know I've been listening to it when I'm swimming, so you don't get all the detail, but I get I get some of it, and I know when that song comes on, I'm ready when that comes on. It just gives you that adrenaline surge you need to get to that end of the 50 really quick but you know the, the point is as i'm saying that the there is a trove of killer riffs they're original they're heavy and they're meaningful okay really mm. important point there they're meaningful so who writes this stuff is it is it the old good old benevolent dictatorship with uh comrade tim at the helm there or, or do you all <laughs> sort of contribute and just sort of make it work well maybe just to take half a step back um you know one of the things that we decided Several years ago, I, I was just, I'm going to throw a number out there, I would say three odd years ago, we, we were sort of thinking about, you know, what that next album was going to look like. We'd sort of uh, fixed up a number of other things in our back catalogue and cleaned up a, a few other things that we needed to address, re-recordings and re-releases, etc. But um, we sort of thought, well, what do we want to do with the next album? We'd, we'd, uh, we'd gone down the path, these epic long long songs. We did the 24-minute the uh, song on an EP, What Tomorrow Brings, and all this sort of stuff. And we obviously re-recorded a lot of the old Dungeon back catalogue as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, we sort of all agreed that, you know what, like we need a real sort of focused, to the point, in-your-face metal album. It's mm-hmm. like, in a way, no frills um, in the sense that it doesn't sort of, it's not something that you have to put a lot of energy into building a tolerance for it and then eventually liking the album. It was something that 
we wanted not to make it too uh, too cheap either, but we wanted people to listen to it and hopefully very quickly identify with it. And so we needed all the elements that made us who we are up until that point, all you know, the choruses, the solos, those riffs, um, and and really sort of uh, celebrating where we've come from. And the other focus around that was Tim had a, a vision um, where going back to his sort of adolescence, mm-hmm. you know, growing up in Broken Hill where, you know, they would go to these house parties and drink ridiculous amounts of alcohol and they would have a, a boombox there with uh, mixtapes and they would ha- just have a, a random selection of songs that they'd all dub- dubbed on cassettes and it was just to appease the, the party there and all their different tastes. So they would have everything from Bon Jovi to Bathory to create <laughs> to Slayer to Dokken to Queensryche to everything in between. Yep. And it was just this weird mix. But for them at that time, it, and especially in the location that we were, Broken Hill in the middle of nowhere, it was just all metal. It was, it was, it was all heavy riffs. It was just all loud guitars, big choruses. There was a bit of aggression and urgency to the music. And it was just something that was exciting and a little bit dangerous. And, they weren't worried about the subgenres or the elitism that was associated with, you know, a lot of that stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, it was just this really amazing time. And when he shared that with us, we we started thinking about our own experiences getting into music for the first time, and especially, you know, for me, you know, seeing Fear of the Dark, you know, Iron Maiden live at Donington on Rage when I was a kid and just, like, trying to wrap my head around and go, what, what <laughs> I am I watching that. here? Yeah. I, I don't get it. I don't get it. And, you know, I wasn't allowed to watch it late at night, so I recorded it and I was sitting there in front of the VCR rewinding it on a Sunday morning, like, trying to trying to digest and, and yeah. dissect what was going on. <laughs> the time-honored tradition. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, and, like, the year and a half of Metallica videos and all that sort of stuff, and I I just remember just that, that energy, that electricity. And so we all shared these stories and we thought, let's do our version of a mixtape. Um, this is the ultimate mixtape. Um, it's not going to sound dated. We're going to use modern production. We're going to make it sound fresh so when people listen to it, they don't go, oh, this sounds like well, this sounds like it should have been 20 years ago or something like that. It sounds like it can sit there with whatever's coming out now. Agreed, yeah. But it's got all those elements that make people feel they, they just get that, that same energy that they would have got when they first got into metal. And I don't know if that completely hits the point with everybody that listens to it, but uh, the feedback that we've got so far has been really good. So taking that, that half a step or probably 20 steps forward again, um, <laughs> the songwriting for the album, um, look, I, we definitely won't, I definitely won't hesitate. Tim Tim has always been the primary songwriter in the band. Uh, he has He's led the band since he... He came up with Dungeon back in 1989. He's, he's sort of just been the driving force, and and I always call him my, our secret weapon. But I mean, he's not, not much of a secret, really. I mean, he's the front guy in the band. But um, he he sort of had a lot of ideas in his head. And Mark, um, over the years of him being in the band, has stepped up quite a bit as a songwriter. And the two of them, for the most part, have written the majority of this album. Um, they got together. They both had individual songs that they carved out, and they also just basically threw riffs at each other until uh, songs were forged out of that. And, and, you know, I've got a little bit of a contribution uh, in the album somewhere, can't remember, Kill or Be Killed somewhere, um, which I think was a riff that I wrote when I was 16 years old that sat on a nice. sat on an old tape mm-hmm. and Tim Tim had it sitting in a folder and he goes, I think we can use this now. I'm like, oh, cool, sounds good. Um, but I think we've always taken the approach with songwriting that um, whatever, it's the, it's the best tool for the job needed. So if somebody's feeling it and they've got the momentum and they've got that energy, then we, we let them go. And just as long as it fits into that framework and that formula of what Lord is, and we, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to articulate what that is, but I think when you listen to our music, you'll get an understanding of what Lord sounds like. Um, as long as it fits into that, um, 
but we don't care who writes and we don't care who contributes as long as it gets to that final uh, final end end goal. So the right tool for the right job and uh, those guys just stepped up and uh, from my end, I, I took a bit of a step back and went, guys, go go for it. <laughs> this is amazing. Sweet. So, yeah. And I think that's helped me as well, going back to what I said before about you know, making that statement about the album being a bit of a, you know, a defining, it could be potentially a defining uh, part of our band as well, looking back in time, time to come because I've, I've taken a bit of a, uh, a detached approach where I look at the album and I listen to it from a from a bit of a fan perspective. I mean, I grew up listening to Dungeon. You know, I, I went to Dungeon gigs when I was turning 18. Mm-hmm. I was just a, a massive fan and it was surreal to be able to, you know, become friends with those guys and eventually join and, you know, tour and just and obviously be a, a long-term member of Lord now uh, for however long, 15, 16 years. So mm-hmm. um, I... I had a lot of nostalgic feelings and surreal feelings of me going through all those moments in time and listening back to it. And I think that gave me, I felt like it gave me justification to make some of those statements. Um, and uh, yeah, very long winded answer. Sorry, Andrew. But um, yeah, no, that's, good, that's a, good. a bit of context behind, um, I guess, where the songwriting's come from, who's sort of uh, contributed to it. And I guess, yeah, um, my sort of uh, take on it all. Mm. Well, what about the song um, Immortal? Now, that to me, and I really had liked this, actually, and if you're a metal fan, you'll get where I'm coming from, but is that the sample, is that the bell sample from For Who the Bell Tolls that you've included in that? <laughs> I, I do not know, actually. Um, I, I would say like not. It. I oh, would say not. not because, no, because only because there is, and I, and I definitely won't say what it is. Um, I'll leave it to yourself and the listeners to work out where, where these little Easter eggs are, but there are, I believe, at least one, of, there's at least one, I think, two other things that are hidden, well, probably not hidden, really hidden um but are in the album somewhere where we thought oh i don't know whether we should use this or not we thought no nah, let's let's use it and let's uh, roll that dice and see how we go but um yeah no, i heard I, the tornado of souls riff too i, I did hear that <laughs> is that the other one <laughs> no it's not oh. it's not but um but mind you i've had um, a couple of um interesting uh takes on a few riffs here and there where people have actually i mean that's 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 probably a really great thing um about the album is that people have been able to hear particular parts of songs and go, oh, man, that sounds a lot like Skin of My Teeth by Megadeth, or that sounds like, um, you know, Metallica riff or Slayer riff or Creative riff or whatever it is. And not that we've sort of sat down and listened and dissected those riffs, but I think they're sort of ingrained in us because we grew up on that stuff. Yeah, and agree. I think it yeah. just, and I think we've, yeah. and we've just tried to sort of channel a lot of that inspiration rather than trying to suppress it and trying to be original or find something that's dynamic and new that's going to cut through the noise in the market and everything we just thought you know what just loosen it up a bit and let's just let 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 the metal flow to be really cheesy um oh, but that's there a are great a couple statement. of hey, you're borrowing yeah. from the great chuck shuldina there man and that's, yeah, oh, that's yeah, a absolutely. really nice thing to say because that's exactly what you've done here you know I'm, I'm i'm picking up on these things that any real you know when i say real not cult but real heavy metal fan, someone that the fan, the music is in the heart would actually, you know, really appreciate that you guys have done with this. Because as I say, I, I, I thought it was the, um, you weren't copying it, but you've got a, a slice of, uh, or you're emulating the Tornado of Souls riff um, in, it might be United, God, United's full of them actually, because it's just such a killer cut. But, you know, all across it, there are familiar riffs that expand an update on the original. There you go. That's what happens. Mm. And that's when I'd say it's meaningful, brother. That's when I'd say that it's meaningful because you're listening to it and go, Man, it's like listening to one of my favourite records, but it's been updated. A hundred percent, and and we wanted to try and capture that as best as we could. And, and look, we'll never. I think it's great to hear that, and great to to hear your comments because it 
it validates some of the stuff that we've had in our head and what's in our head versus what the final out, uh, you know, the product is going to be it can be two different things. So you can have the best intentions, but uh, what you eventually put out to the world could be mm. polar, polar opposite. So it's good to, to see that some of that stuff has hit. And I think the other cool thing, people that have listened to uh, Dungeon and Lord over the years and have really, I guess, paid attention to what we've been doing will hear um, there's a lot of tips of the hat back to previous Lord albums and previous Dungeon albums as well, where we've sort of, uh, we've sort of just, I think we've gone back and celebrated what we've done and we've looked at elements of songs that have really sort of left a lasting mark where people still talk about it. And mm-hmm. I think some people might sort of go, oh, yeah, what are you doing that for? You know, you should be you should be really sort of focusing on, on complete originality and not sort of going back and, and, and sort of rehashing anything. But I think we've just... Once again, it's like like Megadeth and Creator and all these bands. I think we've just tried to be inspired by what drove us in the past. I mean, we go back to Ascendance for us, and that album for us is we we look back on that album quite fondly because there was a real energy in the band and uh, a real focus for us to prove ourselves. We still had a lot of naysayers at the time that weren't interested in Lord. They thought Lord was a lighter version of Dungeon. And so mm, we had people okay. that were very uh, on one side of the fence and basically saying, you change your name. Most of the, the Dungeon lineup, so to speak, had moved on and uh, we're not interested. We're not going to pay attention. And so we really made a focus to make an album that was going to address that as best as we could, you know, and just mm. do it our own way, of course. But um there was a lot of fun around that album, a lot of excitement and a lot of energy. And so we, we went back to albums like that and just listened and went, oh, I remember, I remember like all of us getting together and, you know, doing gang vocals in the studio in nice. Wongong yep. and, and getting all this stuff together and just the, what else was happening in our lives. You know, I'd only just recently sort of established myself in Sydney. So there's a lot going on in my life and all the other guys all had their own sort of milestone moments around that time as well. So yep. There's a lot of great nostalgic feeling, and so we wanted to capture that. So you hear in the album throwbacks to to Dungeon, uh, to early earlier Lord albums, and things like that, where we've just we've gone back and thought, let's see if we can get a little bit of that essence and sprinkle it back over the new album. And uh, and I think uh, well, we feel we feel that when we listen to it now. Hmm. Actually, you mentioned Dungeon there because I do actually own Resurrection. Uh, nice, yeah. That was when I remember getting that when it came out. I ordered it. I had the mail order catalog. I don't know whether you remember this, but Warhead Records in, Warhead, uh, yeah. in Parramatta, I think it was. Mm. They they used to have a shop called the Hammer House. I think. I think I'm right in saying that. And you, they used to be able to order things from them. So I remember ordering a bunch of stuff through them, and one of them was a Resurrection. And yeah, there were two bands. This is back in the deep dark late '90s, early 2000s, when metal <laughs> was about as popular as a, you know what, in a punch bowl. But between you guys and Pegasus or Pegasus, I don't know how you pronounce it either. Oh, way. Pegasus, yeah. Yeah, you know the one I'm talking yeah. about. Um, mm. The um, Stodge Brothers, I think. Were they still yeah. going, Nate? You know, are they still? They, I wouldn't say they, uh, they might be on hi- hiatus, I think. They, they still mm. exist. Um, they do play the odd show here and there in Melbourne, and sometimes they'll they'll do a couple of shows in Europe, but I haven't seen a great deal from them recently. But, uh, yep, uh, who's it? Johnny Stodge, I think. Um, Stodge, yeah, Stodge, yeah, yeah, yeah. so he's... Uh, He's still there in, in the helm, and um, I think they've had a bit of a, a few different changes in lineup. But uh, yeah, they still they still exist. Yeah, I remember that that album Resurrection, and there was one that was released about the same time from those guys, and I remember cranking that stuff. Mm. But that was the only music back then that you could really hear. And I really and I've spoken to um, oh the name escapes is going to escape me here, and it's going to be shocking. The singer from um, Ed Guy. Uh, Tobias. Tobias. It is. I had Tobias yeah. Sammet on my tip of my tongue, but I didn't think it was him. But anyway, um, 
So I remembered when they toured, I don't know whether you remember this, but they toured, and I remember sort of after that was 2002 or 2003, the floodgates opened for no bullshit heavy metal. You know what I'm saying? Not death metal, not black metal, not any of the cult stuff, just heavy metal that you could have a beer to and not worry about what you were dressed up in to go to a gig to. That's when I, that's when I started to notice a bit of the change. So I think Dungeon... Well, Lord, you know, the same band effect. Is that, am I right in saying that? It's a continuation of the, the same thing, or does, does Tim view it as two separate entities? No, I think, and this has always been a difficult thing, and I think we'll always be explaining this until the day the day that uh, we all die, but um, mm. it's it's a continuation of the band. I think the argument or that debate that we put out there is that, um, you know, if if nothing changed, if, if, if the name remained Dungeon and... Uh, just continued on, then Dungeon would be releasing Fallen Idols today, in theory. Um, okay, so yeah, the, gotcha. the lineup changes yeah. would have happened anyway, the, the progression, the direction of the music, etc. Um, and that's a hard thing to explain to people when, you know, and I think about my favourite bands that have changed over the years. Um, it's it's a very difficult thing to educate people on. But, um, yeah, that, that's where we sort of, we view it and why we, we take, we make a big effort to sort of acknowledge mm the dungeon era and play a lot of the dungeon songs and and not shy away from a lot of that stuff because it's basically the first part of Lord's existence. Mm. Yeah, and, and not to speak for you here, but there could have been issues with some of the earlier band members too over who actually called the band Dungeon too. I've, I've had that situation in bands and you just sort of, you know, I've not been in any bands of any serious prominence or anything like that, like what Lord is or Dungeon is, but, you know, sometimes that happens in, and even bands where there aren't, isn't any serious attention or prominence you just ditch the name because you don't want to have any issues later on in case you do blow up you know and yeah yeah definitely and i think i mean i will i'm sure tim would probably cringe because i should know this but um i can't remember who i'm i don't know if it was tim that, that came up with dungeon but um i think one of the big motivators towards the end of 2005 when the decision to change the name came about was tim had a real sort of focus to to expand the sound and, and do more. Um, I think Dungeon had sort of been, especially with, uh, you know, getting signed in Europe and the, the European label really making a, a concentrated effort to pigeonhole the band as much as possible as a power metal band. Oh, that's yeah, it. that old chestnut, and, yeah. Yeah, and, and look, that I get it. Um, they've got a market and they've got to try and sell sell albums and it is what it is. But um, Tim wanted to expand and bring a lot of extra elements without, you know, completely reinventing the wheel. But there was so much stigma around the, the name Dungeon that he, he, I think he felt restricted by it. But at the same time, and I think it was just timing, unfortunately, that you know, there was significant changes to the lineup at that stage. And I think they'd just come off the back of uh, you know, a big European tour um, that was quite successful. And they did a number of other things um, back here in Australia, a lot of international supports. But sort of the foundation sort of came apart. And I think Tim sort of looked at it and went, you know what, I think this might be good timing. I think this might be the sort of signs pointing in the direction that I, if I'm going to make a change, I'm, I'm going to do it now. Yeah. And so I think part of it was letting go of a lot of that and leaving the past behind, but sort of going, I can I can move forward and and, and try to, to, to go in a different direction. And and I think we've had teething, teething issues along the way and growing pains to try and work that out. But um, mm. I think now we're... I think we're more more happy than ever to sort of bring it all together as a, as a sum total. And, and we're finding, actually, just a really quick comment, um, with this album, one thing that we're just surprised by, and even just the shows around the country, is where people come to these shows that haven't seen us since Dungeon. People haven't listened to us since oh, Dungeon. You know, like, yeah. we heard about it through, or we saw, you know, United on YouTube or whatever it is, or somebody sent me a song, and, oh, my God, I didn't realise what you guys have been doing for the last 15 years. I'm like, oh, 
welcome back, you know, like here, come along and you guys, you know, no hard feelings, but come along and enjoy it. And so that's been fantastic for us. It's been really, really cool. Okay. All right. Yeah, no, that answers that question. And, and mate, the covers, the ones that you've chosen on this new album here. So I'm a big fan of both of the bands that you've chosen, by the way. Ice House and John, well, you know, one band and one solo artist. Ice House and Johnny Farnham. And, and I think I've, I swear I've seen you in a social media post somewhere through the years wearing an Ice House t-shirt. So I think that's really cool too that you represent. <laughs> Am I right in saying that? Is that correct? You are 100% right. Okay. I'm sure, I'm sure that I, I can I can imagine there'd be several several photos from an Ice House t-shirt. There you go. Yeah, okay. I think um, look, both, um, yeah, and look, both, um, both artists, both, you know, uh, are incredible influences for us. I mean, we we don't hold back on what we were brought up with, um, you know, either as kids or adolescents. And um, you know, we we love pop music, we love rock music. We and there's so many great Australian uh, artists that were um, kicking around in the 70s, 80s, and even into the 90s. I mean, you know, some of my top Australian bands, you know, include like Southern Sons, John Farnham, Noise Works, Ice yeah. House. Um, all these great bands, yeah. Even some of the solo uh, solo guys as well, like Daryl Braithwaite. Yep. Um, you know, I, I love. There's so many amazing cuts there, and, and obviously Barnsley's solo stuff in the '80s is just top notch. And and so I think for us, we've always been we've you know for good or for bad, we've been known for our covers. We've done a lot of covers over the years, and um, we just love we love celebrating great music and mm-hmm. any excuse to play some of the best songs that have ever been written. We're we're there, so. Um, Touch the Fire was a song that um, I don't think it we were we'd been talking about it for a while, but it was one that once it sort of hit the radar as far as potential songs to cover, we I don't think there was any negotiation around. That. I think we went yeah we're doing it. Um, yeah. And Break the Ice uh, by John Farnham was a song that we had been talking about for years. It was just like oh I'd love to that would be a great song oh yeah if only I mean no one's gonna cover that song we should do it we should do it and then eventually. All right, we're going to pull our fingers out. Let's actually do it this time. So, um, and they both came out really good. Um, I was really, really happy with it. And um, I haven't had any feedback from the Farnham camp just yet. I'm, I'm a bit of a punisher with the old Farnham camp. I, I'm always <laughs> uh, annoying Glenn Wheatley yep. and um, saying, "Hey, uh, you know, is John available for for an interview?" Chat, you know, yeah. and everyone knows that uh, John is not uh, not the interviewing type. He does very uh, very few interviews, but I always uh, throw my my hat in the ring. Um, but I did get some. Uh, some secondhand feedback um, via Steve Bull, who's the um, bass player for Ice House, and he passed it on to Ivor Davies, um, yeah. the Ice House cover, and uh, we got the seal of approval and said that it was, it was fantastic. So um, I think in that alone, um, I'm happy to hang the hat up and, and call it a day. Um, mm. If Ivor Davies uh, approves of something that we've done, I'm, I'm more than happy to, to to not continue with anything else uh, moving forward. It was a pretty surreal moment. Well, there's there's actually a lane for you guys that's open for you guys because you're a very, very capable band, obviously. But performing, you know, like that band, that punk band that was on Fat Records, Me First and the Gimme Gimmies, I think it was Absolutely. them that used to do those covers. Mm. You guys could release an album where you've just covered wonderful Australian content from the era because I've spoken to Jack Jones, a.k.a. Erwin Thomas mm. from Southern Suns. He's a champion of a guy. But here's my suggestion, okay? You guys do the music, and as and I think Tim, I rate Tim even better than Bruce Dickinson at this point. Believe me, I do. I truly do. I'm not just saying that, you know. But if you got these guys in, like Jack Jones, to sing the song that they originally sung with you guys on the backing band, but heavy metal, no bullshit, straight to the point, <laughs> I reckon you guys would have a heck of an album there. What do you think? Oh, 
you've twisted my arm. Like, <laughs> I, it would be it would be absolutely incredible. And I think for us, I mean, we're all fanboys. Like we 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 giggle like like schoolgirls when we we yeah. hear about or we get any form of interaction from these people that we've idolised as you know growing up. We're getting into music and just really appreciating amazing music. And we're so mm-hmm. fortunate in Australia that we had such amazing eras of music through the 70s and 80s in particular and, and into the early 90s. Um, to be able to have that opportunity to, to work with people like that would be absolutely incredible. I mean, we've we we sort of joked about, oh, yeah, years and years ago about Break the Ice, we thought, oh, if only we could get Fancy in. If we could just, like, like, how much money do you think he would charge? And do you reckon we could collectively just pull, like, oh, hell, let's remortgage one of our houses. Let's just do it, like, whatever, whatever it takes. Um, and, I mean, we, I don't think we would be opposed to it. I, I don't think I'd need to convince Tim too much about an idea like that. And I think we've... I think uh, sort of slightly on topic with the covers, um, I think we've done so many covers over the years that we'll eventually release something that's a collection of um, all the covers that we've released. Um, yeah, go for they're it. All on, yeah. They're all on different versions and you know, some are on Japanese versions only and some in Europe and all sorts. And so we're going to try and get them all together in one release but include another five or six songs. And I, I think I know what they are for the most part. And we've tracked drums for about four Mm-hmm. three or four of them um and it's all australian rock so it's awesome. all it's all Killer. extra stuff that um you know we've we've grown up with so um because we haven't finished it um you know what uh thanks for planting the seeds i'll i'll take that away <laughs> and, and and if it happens then you can say ah um you can find out where that all came from yeah listen there to this go. episode <laughs> <laughs> just put me in the liner notes no just just kidding yeah absolutely but i'll tell you something brother you know i can't stand the cultural cringe associated with our recent music past because johnny jimmy ice house Southern Suns, they're just a few of the bands. I'm, I'm a covers musician. So I play bass and guitar, but primarily bass like yourself, okay? so, mm. And I've played uh, so many Cold Chisel tracks of people like um, Flame Trees, Saturday Night. Holy shit. People stop what they're doing and stare <laughs> at you when you play Saturday Night because it's, it's so meaningful, these songs. They actually, they've affected people's lives, particularly the, the over 50s set, you know, people who grew up through the 80s. And uh, some of the people who grew up through the 90s, 70s, 80s and 90s, this stuff is very meaningful to people. You know, like I, I had a chat to the wonderful, the great and powerful Fiona Horn yes. um, from Def FX recently, you know, and it gave me tingles, I've got to tell you, because mm. I used to go and watch those guys and they were so good, you know. Yeah. And there's and that music, to my ears, and I explained this to Fiona, there are fans, no doubt like yourself, as I am, this music didn't go away, it's still there. You know, I still listen to the Mavises. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it hasn't. It's still there. You know, I put it on. It might be on a playlist, but it's still there. You know, and and this whole idea that it's retro or it left people's lives isn't quite true. You know, so I think there's a wonderful opportunity there to connect with people who, maybe you know, they're they're not they're music fans, but maybe they've got busy lives or what have you, and you're connecting with them by bringing your music through the music that they know. So that's well, think, yeah. yeah. And I, I agree. I mean, absolutely. Uh, I think one thing that's um, – I don't think we do in particular, but one thing that I've certainly appreciated and I've always fantasised about as, you know, ever releasing sort of uh, music that's outside of Lord is one of those things that made those songs so iconic and has the longevity that still sits in people's minds is that obviously the songwriting, the crafting of, that, of those songs is just – amazing absolutely stellar mm. they, some of the we've, we've got some of the greatest songwriters in the world that have come out of this country uh, but Great, i think yeah. part of the reason why you know even just putting the music aside is that 
they sung about things that were relatable. It was, you know, Jimmy put it into a song title. It's working class men. It's it's working class topics. Mm-hmm. There, when you listen to it, a lot of the stuff is very literal, um, without it being too cheesy or cheap or anything like that. But when you listen to it, people people attach themselves to it, and then they start to relate to their own lives and what they what's going on in their lives. You know, uh, you know adversity and troubled times, you know, lost love for whatever it is or succeeding or, you know, fighting, you know, being the underdog, which is a great, you know, Australian sort of thing that we've embraced over the years. And and I think when people listen to these these songs, I mean, it throws them back into a time where they were first relating to these things. So it's it's a nostalgic trip for the song itself, but then everything else that's a bit, that was attached to it at that time in their life. And so I listen to these songs even now, like I, I, I do not let up on, on this old, you know, and uh, even using the word "old" sounds sounds like I'm dating, completely dating it. But I listen to this music, and and I just I listen to it. I go, "This is amazing!" Because so, a lot of the stuff is so simplistic. They're, they're very mm. straightforward, and some of the stuff's very clever. The way that they've written it. But I listen to it. I go, "Oh man!" Like I, I know I, I can I, I understand I understand the formula of what they're doing and why why it connects so well and why don't why i mean there are amazing bands that are doing this stuff now but maybe only time will tell whether it sort of stands the test of time but um the songwriting is just it's just absolutely amazing and it just connects with people in such mm. an amazing way and you know i i live across the road and it's probably it's not the best thing in the world but i live across the road from an rsl and i, I listen to those cover <laughs> bands and i'm in um, those cover bands so yeah, there you go yeah. and, the, and look the cover bands sound great you know but uh sometimes the audiences are a little bit feral but you know Agreed, I think you yeah. hear, but it's the same it's it's those songs and you hear you can hear the crowd getting into those particular songs when they pop up into the set list and and it's, it's incredible to hear, and you just go, ah, oh, they've still got it. Like, those songs are still mm. there, and, and it's just, uh, you know, what a what a trip to be able to be one of those people that was there at the time to write that song and just not really know what's going to happen, what where it's going to go and what, what's going to happen to them, and, you know, 30, 40 years later to be able to sit there and just have it as a mainstay on radio or, you know, cover bands, tribute bands, just consistently yeah. playing these songs to people and enjoying it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really passionate about uh, that music and... Um, you know, we've never we've never shied away from it. We've uh, uh, we've always celebrated and, and been very public about our love of just well, just music in general. Great songs are great song. You know, it mm. doesn't matter whether it's metal or not. Um, you know, metal's our our forte, but um, we're not afraid to embrace um, any form of music. We're big pop fans. We love rock. We love commercial radio. Um, you know, some of the stuff these days is not as good as the old stuff, and that makes me sound like an old grandpa whinging. But it's true it's, though. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and but it's. But in the end, a good song's a good song, and and yep. it's as simple as that. Indeed, God, I could wax lyrical about music these days compared to back in the day, and I'm not talking about <laughs> rock and heavy metal here, but stuff that's on the charts is just used, you know. Oh, we all know this, and this is not mm. new news, okay, but the auto-tune thing and just the use same. I think there are some bands that even use the same drum loop, the same samples, yep. because you hear Absolutely. it. Absolutely. You hear it. You, you heard Rihanna's um, umbrella drum beat in um, the Kid Cudi song, the one where they sampled <laughs> Starman, and you're thinking, yeah. what? You couldn't find another drum beat like yeah, that. Is yeah. it's a good drum beat, but it's pretty bloody simplistic. You couldn't mix it up just a little bit. You know what I mean? When you're in Pro Tools, there, just pull it out by a measure or two. You know, <laughs> but it doesn't happen, and I, I don't understand that. But you know, there must be a formula. They haven't told well, us think, though. Well, I think a big thing with a lot of that stuff is, yeah, and this is what probably makes it very different to those those great bands from from over the past several decades is that these days these entities these these 
artists, you know, Rihanna and, and Beyonce and all these, these massive, massive I think, artists. I think, I, think, I think you were right in saying entities because they're brands, aren't they? Well, 100%. They're, they're corporations, you know, and and so your, your drum loop in there is probably a contract with a particular provider who has sampled or provides that sample. And so yeah. part of that agreement with that label would mm-hmm. be that, uh, you need to include it in four or five different songs across X amount of artists or something like that. And so you you walk into the studio with already a number of contractual agreements as far as the elements of that song, you know, what types of types of samples are used through what affiliation or, you know, what um, what particular artists are, are jumping onto that album to, to produce it or to, to record on it, et cetera. So, you know, it's, it's a big melting pot of... of agreements and contracts and, and money and, and there's a lot of money to be made so part of it i sort of look at it and go well, it's very smart you know it's very very complicated and, and impressive you know i love i love how people are, uh, are able to find ways of making money in very creative ways but at the same time you go oh you know, sort of takes away the whole point of what music's all about really but um mm. you know but at the same and then looking at it from another angle i think it's also low-hanging fruit for artists i think for musicians out there that are writing from the heart uh, creating original music, I think, with the internet, and yes, there's a lot of noise out there, it's hard to cut through, I think people are hungry for that genuine approach. I think people are looking for that organic, not just in sound, but I think people are just looking for that real genuine organic uh, passion behind songwriting and a song. And I think people are searching for it, and I think with all the, the plastic that's out there, uh, to, to coin a term uh, to associate with it, um, I think people that are writing from the heart and really putting their their soul into it, I think will have the longevity. As long as they stick to it, I think it will stand the test of time. Yeah. The rest of it will just will just end up in the bin. Yeah, it's finding a way to stick to it, though, isn't it? And you guys have figured it out in your own way. But look, like a lot of musicians, I started off playing for you know four or five years in rehearsal rooms with about one gig a year, as is mm-hmm. the common experience. But you need to go through that period, A, because you've got to solidify your chops and become a better player playing with an acoustic drummer. But you've also got to figure out who you don't want to be in a band with too because it's <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. It's bloody... Yeah. I mean, I won't even go into the reasons here and now, the reasons I've had to kick people out of bands, but believe me, name it, it's probably happened. Okay, <laughs> and, and, of course, you're the bad guy. You're the bad guy. Always. But, but, you know, what What do you do? You've got to keep for, forging forward because to your exact point, this is the music that you put on the earth to do. This is the music that's in your heart. So you just do it anyway. And I think that's the theory these days that if you just do it anyway because you're going to do it and you've got your day job and your marriage or whatever is going on with your personal life and like me, I've got kids and a dog and a cat and a house and all the rest of it, but you've still got to do this. You can't not do this. So you, you still open yourself up to success if you keep going and if it's in your heart, isn't it? And that's what I think you guys have done really well. And the fact that Tim's been at it since 1989 and Broken Hill, which, God, I've played in enough country towns to know they're not easy places <laughs> to play any no, music. No, Blues Brothers with the chicken wire. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I've, listen, I've played heaps of gigs in Chinchilla, you know, Bundy. Ooh, yeah. You know where I'm headed? Yeah, it's not easy. I've had people scream at me, you know, stop playing slap bass because that's, you know, not what they want to hear. They want to hear Copperhead Road or what have you. And you just, you've just got to adjust. You've got to pivot. What I call pivot. I call it pivoting. So I just turn to the guys and go, right, we're pivoting. And that's when you just go into a different, you know, you've got your set list written out. But sometimes you've just got to go in a completely different direction because you're losing people. And and that's the thing. As long as you're doing what you want to do, and in my case, and I'm sure it is for you, mate, I've, I've actually, I've got to be honest, man. I've never played heavy metal before as a musician. <laughs> mm. I've only ever played indie, 
and covers. That's all I've ever done. And um, when you play covers, you've got to be really quick on your feet. I've got to tell you, you know, a set list don't... You can write out a set list and you just hope you can stick to it, but you just can't You just can't rely on it, is what I'm saying. So you've got to sort of drill back to the basics, which is, what am I here to do? Is it to play this type of music? No. It's to play. It's to entertain. And And for me as a musician at this point in time, long way to make the point, but for me as a musician at this point in time, I just want to see people dancing and having fun and drinking beer and getting away from the stresses of their day-to-day. And that's that's wrapped up in me just wanting to perform for them. It's it's a big thing behind what Lord is. Um, and, and even even Dungeon had a same sort of code of ethics you know, with with the approach of, of the, the big why, the, the mm. why behind why we're doing it. You know, yes, we love metal, we love playing metal, but ultimately what what are we getting on stage for you know what's the point you know and you know part of it like like anyone in the band you you've got the the very sort of um cheap reasons you know the very sort of uh, sort of surface reasons of ego and you know attention and and all that all the things that stereotypically come with you know being in a band but mm-hmm. i think there's there's a real connection that you have with people when you're on stage playing and we've always told ourselves repeatedly over the years especially when we sort of we lose track and, and get a little bit burnt out along the way. It's just that we we always take the music seriously. Like we'll we'll never half ass what we do musically. Mm-hmm. We'll always put put 110 percent into what whatever we do. But ourselves, we don't take ourselves seriously. And when yeah. we get on stage, we it's have strategy. a great time. We take the piss out of each other. Um, we have a lot of lot of fun, and we're not afraid to make fools of ourselves. And we do it online as well. We take cheap shots at, at each other. We 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 throw memes on each other's pages on Facebook and all sorts of stuff. <laughs> and we just like we we're idiots. We are literal idiots. But we that's our balance. That's our counterbalance. And we whenever somebody gets high and mighty outside of the band, when we meet people on the way, because you know there's that romantic feeling about being a musician. It's that sort of like. I'm an artist, you know. I I, I write, you know, I, I write from the heart, and, and I'm an artist. Very, I'm cool. Yeah, and 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 it's almost like this. I'm not so much I'm better than you, but I'm 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 very special here. I'm a very special person. I'm a creative, you know. And for us, we've always thought, you know, that's nice. Um, but ultimately, you're an entertainer. You're a performer. And I think people need to embrace those terms again and not cheapen them. I think mm-hmm. you get on stage and, and exactly what you said before. So you true. want to look out. Yeah. And see people having a great time. You want people chugging beers or just dancing or headbanging or whatever it is, mm-hmm. and just having. I mean, people people go through enough shit on their day in their day to day life. You know, they exactly. Yeah. We've all got tough things we've got to do, whether it be jobs, relationships, uh, you know, all sorts of illness and all sorts of adversities that we go through. And it's it's life can be really tough, you know. And and I think if people are willing to get off the couch and actually pay to come and see you play, then you should be doing whatever you can to bring them into another world and, and let them escape for, for an hour or several hours if you're doing cover sets, um, you know, and just let them let them enjoy themselves and be in the moment and just forget about everything else because they've got to go back to it at the end of the night or the mm-hmm. next morning or whatever it is. So I think, I think there's something that really it's often forgotten and I think, you know, for us we, we've always made a big point. We get on stage, we have a great time and we want, we want to put out as much as we can so people feel it and, um, yeah, you know, we've, we've, I'm sure you've had the same sort of experiences. Sometimes you just don't feel it. Like you're about to get on stage, you're like, oh, man, there's like 20 places I'd rather be than about to walk on this stage. Oh, that like, happens a lot, yeah. brother. That, that's very yeah. true. Like I've, you know, I play up at Coolamore, what have you, and you're playing to bar staff and about three people who wish you weren't playing. <laughs> 
<laughs> and you've still got to plug in. That's when I'm doing the acoustic guitar gigs. You've still got to plug it in. You're like going, I don't want to do it either, but they're paying me to do it, so I've got no choice. That's I'm it. sorry. I've just got to bust out the bloody three doors down and all the rest of it. I'm sorry, but I'll try and turn myself down just up enough so as I don't get yelled at at the venue because I'm trying to just <laughs> fake the night. But at the same time, if you're... But these venues, they set up chairs and tables in front of the stages too. It doesn't help. It, it, oh ruins, it ruins the the experience and it stops people from completely embracing themselves in, in what's going on. But I think the big thing is like we get those feelings as well. Sometimes we'll rock up to a show and nothing goes to plan, nothing's there that we need or, you know, the, the ticket sales are a bit crap or whatever it is or, you know, the weather's horrible. And we just look at each other going, you know, that's when you start to look at each other and go, oh, man, like why are we doing this again? I'm sure, like, we've got wives or partners, you know, kids at home or whatever it is, you know, oh, I'm sure there's – I'm sure we'd rather be there, you know, maybe. And But we get on stage and you sort of lose yourself in, in the moment once you get up and you get sure. the momentum yeah. going. But also, you know, those two or three people that rock up to the show or whatever it is, the handful of people, you just – part of it is you never know who they are and, and there's selfish reasons for that as far as it could be an opportunity for us. But at the same time – you don't know what that one or two people that have come in and have sat down with a beer and they're just watching or they're standing there watching, you know, you play. They could be complete fans of what you do or they're just looking for a way to just to get the hell out of their normal life and just watch and, and, mm. and soak up whatever whatever's coming out of out of those speakers. And I, I remind myself of all those things over, over and over again because then I, I sort of – it's almost like you recalibrate and you go – ah, that's, that's why I'm doing this, you know. It's And it's not to make myself feel like I'm super important, but, you know, I'm up, um, it's, I've, I've now got a task here. I've got a job, and it's to entertain you in front of me and make you feel good as best as I can. Like I'm, you know, I'll do whatever I can with what I've got in front of me and, and try to make you have a good time. And and, uh, and I, think that's, I think that's what's kept us going for so many years. So yeah, yeah. It's just it's, it's kept things happy and fulfilling and i think that's been a really really important part of of what we do so playing in front of people and bringing it to as broad a possible an audience as you can i think i've made a comment on twitter or facebook that you know this is music what you guys are doing man europe would be all over this so surely to goodness please tell me some enterprising promoter from the land of europa has reached out to you guys for something (laughs) resembling a tour with someone and here's a band that i really want you to look up if you i mean you will you're you're a fan and you you're in the industry but active defiance you know chris broderick's band oh yeah you would be you the man that'd be a killer doubleheader bill right there well that's um i believe that's got it's got sean drover on drums ex megadeth it does absolutely and and chris broderick was in megadeth too and and jack panzer was he in was he the guitarist from jack Jack he was absolutely yeah yeah yeah. yeah. i remember i remember broderick era uh century media era of jack panzer yeah exactly uh, likewise (laughs) there was a big uh big defining moment in my life between jack panzer and ice earth as a teenager that were just incredible incredible times for me but um that that would be a fantastic band i mean I, i think um, to answer your question, no, we haven't had any offers just yet uh, for Europe, and and Europe's been one of those tough ones for us. Um, I don't know why, mate, because because it's there. You guys are the complete packages. So I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, okay? But you guys mm. appear from the outside looking in in terms of on our album, the videos that I've seen. You've done some of those shows, those metal shows in the states or the South America or wherever mm. it was. Anyway, you can play in front of big audiences. I've seen the videos. Is my point. Mm. on that one there so i wonder why is it just that they don't have a lens on australia well i think i think one part of it is the label representation and i think that's changing quite a bit over the last several years um you know for years we'd be trying to get a foot in the door in europe and you know back sort of in dungeon 
years, uh, you know, there was a uh, record label signed in Europe, and so that gave a little bit of a, you know, a, a, a toe toenail in the door. Um, but what we were finding is that booking agents didn't want to bar of you because you didn't have representation in Europe, which meant yeah, that you it. didn't have a product to sell, which meant that you couldn't, you you didn't bring any value to the package as far as bringing people in to the show. And ultimately, you, we started to progress towards uh, well, in the direction of pay-to-play packages, where oh God, bands basically yeah. would drop. You know, they they would yeah, literally the remortgage yeah. their houses to get on. That's these, horrendous, these mate. That that I fucking excuse my language. I hate that model. I mean, that yeah. model is when these, and it's not with you guys. You guys have got your head screwed on. You know, you're all over thirty. You know, this sort of thing. But it's the parents of the kids that buy into this stuff as giving their. Remember when Sharon Osbourne was doing that on Ozfest? Mm, yeah, absolutely. That's, sorry, that was a disgrace, you know. Yeah. And, and to me, you're taking advantage of people that are, are mortgaging their properties and are, and but love their kids, love their kids. Yeah. And it's not the kids that are paying for it. And when I say kids, the under-25 set that are paying for it, it's, it's their parents that are doing it and well-meaning benefactors. But, you know, it's a once-off, it's a spike, and then all of a sudden you can say, great, I've got all these videos, but what, and then what? What, you don't have a... You don't have what you're what what you're alluding to. What no, you haven't alluded to. You've been very direct with it, which is it's not a part of who they are because they're not old enough yet to know who they are. So, you know that's the issue with these pay-to-play packages. You know, you guys are smart enough not to take them up. Uh, you know, the ones that are really not in your favour. I mean, there might be some out there that are in their favour, but oh. it, it, but it backs onto that point too. Those bloody awful three hundred and sixty-degree management degree deals. You know, no, you're in the industry, mate. You know all about mm, this stuff. Absolutely. But that's that's another disgrace. You know, that's just like the old reach of the record industry going to young men and young women. Right, I'm going to take everything that you earn because I can give you this platform. No, you can't. It's their talent that does it. You know, that'd be absolutely. my point there. And I mean, there's Definitely. And look, with the pay-to-play stuff, I think there's, 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 at least from, I mean, I haven't had a lot of experience, and yes, like, we haven't, we haven't jumped on any of these, uh, these things that, uh, that are, that are created. And uh, from what I can see, there's two main sort of categories that these pay-to-play sort of uh, situations fall into. And one of them is, and I sort of lean a little bit more in favour of, it's where you, you're paying basically to contribute to the touring cost, which means that you're paying to to be on a tour bus as far as being able to contribute to the travel costs, um, mm. backline, things like that. And I think from that point of view, you're basically paying for somebody else to manage your your logistics while you're on tour. And I think that's a real positive. I think there's there's some great things there. And as long as as long as you're not getting uh, you know um, put anything up your rear end, um, you know financially, I think. It's it's quite a reasonable model to suggest, and there's some very smart booking agents out there that are able to combine different parties together, share the costs, and, and then put together some form of um, revenue that comes out of each show so that everybody's compensated. And with the way that the industry has changed over the years, I think everybody's sort of scrambling to try and work out what does work and what doesn't. But the ones that I think this is where you're sort of – you were referring to is the ones where it's purely you're paying for the privilege exactly and so i've got a couple of examples and i won't name the bands uh, because they're they're two still very active bands but Mm -hmm. years and years ago we got offered uh, a 20-day european tour and i'd say probably 10 or probably no 10 or 12 years ago and really great opportunity great band and um going to be as a a great sort of spread across a number of different countries um and we looked at it and thought this is if this is a tour, like that we would consider this is going to be the one. 
um, they wanted, and I don't know what, I, I don't have a lot of comparisons to sort of, you know, work out whether this is actually generous or whatever, but they wanted a thousand euro per show. And this was before expenses and like, you know, paying for the buses, paying yeah, for paying the right there and everything, stuff. Yeah. And, and we looked at it and we, I wouldn't say that we were green, but we were just so excited about the possibilities of what we could do with this opportunity. You know, we're paying, playing in front of, you know, about a thousand people a night and in big months that would appeal to our music. And we just thought about, you know, what we could do with the momentum that we create from this. And so we started seriously looking, going, can we afford 20,000 euro before flights, before logistics of travel around Europe, before all this stuff. And we just, we looked at each other and we just like, no way. Like, there's no, there's no way we can do it. So we politely declined and just left, left it go. Mm-hmm. And about two or three years later, we were in another part of the world touring and we were with a different band and we were just having a conversation with them. And we found out through conversation that they actually did that tour. And we said, oh, oh, fantastic. Oh, yeah, how was the tour? They said, oh, it was great. I said, okay. Oh, just, I said, you don't have to answer, but just out of curiosity, I mean, what did you guys pay to get on onto it? And they, go, and they just looked at me and went, pay? We didn't pay anything. And I went, oh, right. Now, this band wasn't from Australia. They were from another part of the world, a little bit closer to, you know, they were in Europe. And it sort of started to paint a picture that, well, they're from the arse end of the world. They're so far away. They're desperate. Yeah. If we just throw a number out there, maybe they'll say yes. And there's no measure, there's no sort of metric against it to say, well, you know, this is this is the price point, this is what it's going to cost because it equates to this. It's more of a case of let's pull a figure out of the air and see if these dummies are going to pay for it. And I'm just so glad that we didn't do it otherwise. I don't think we would have recovered from that. I think we would have done great yeah. in the short term and in the long term we would have been burnt out. And that was my point. Second, that was exactly my uh, point, sorry, about yeah, what I said earlier. Absolutely. It's, it's a spike, but then where do you go to after that? But sorry, continue. Oh, and I was just going to say the the other example was uh, about two or three years ago we we got offered basically the tour of a lifetime uh, through North America, like just an absolutely amazing opportunity to to Can basically you say go who it was because this would be know, a really it, good story. No, for people, no, it, it, it would I know, but it's like it, I they're very active, they're very very active, and um and they they wanted a ridiculous sum of money as a privilege payment basically to to be considered it was like a bidding war and in order for them to in order to get onto the tour and then then you would pay per show and then you pay your expenses after that and by this stage because it was only a few years ago we we basically laughed at it um yeah we were polite to that but we just laughed and went that is just so rude and just irresponsible and just it was just it was so inappropriate to be able to think that Yes, you might have a legacy, you might be a fantastic band, you might have the notoriety and the popularity behind you, but to to just throw a figure out and give people the privilege, um, look, we're all trying to make money, we're all businesses, so, and you know, as much as people hate it, a band's a business, you're making money, but to do it like that, I just don't, I think there's, there's some ethics there that, uh, you know, it's just, they're in the wrong spot, and so... We, we declined that and it was, it was bittersweet because we knew that we, we stuck by what we believed in and we knew we did the right thing, but we just looked and went, man, that sucks, you know? Like we would, you know, we we, we would do so well, you know? We would mm-hmm. we would actually add value to a tool like that, you know? We'd, you know, we would, there would be so many opportunities there to capitalise on that, um, add value to the package, add value to, to them, the, that headliner, um, but also for us personally and... It's just a shame. So we see a lot of examples like this over the, over the years, and I think 
I think it's changing. I think there's a lot more opportunities and people are understanding that now with the internet connectivity and, you know, digital distribution, I think it's a big thing where it's easy to market a band internationally without having a record label in Europe or a record Absolutely. label in North America. Yeah. I mean, yeah. um, so these days, you know, we, we've had a little bit of interest, funnily enough, from some distribution companies in Europe um, to get Fallen Idols out there. And we'll, we'll just see, you know, if it, if it makes sense, then, then we'll do it. But we're not, we're not desperate. Um, we've yeah. already started to get some good traction with with listeners, and and we'll see what happens. And if the if a tour opportunity pops up, then it does make sense on paper. And we understand like we'll never, you know, you're always going to go over with a loss. Um, it's just the way that it goes, and you know, it's only it takes years and years of touring to to break even. Um, great Australian bands that are doing amazing things in Europe now and are on on large labels. It it took them several tours to to start to. To balance themselves out but that's mm. that's the game you know it's just it's what you do but so um yeah very long-winded uh, sort of explanation there but it's um it's one of those things that you just have to deal with along the way but it keeps reminding yourself of like you're forced to have to look at yourself and go why am i actually doing this like what is the most important thing here and and you can jump at the short-term glittery moment of that opportunity mm. of doing a fantastic tour but you know, 10 years down the track, who's going to remember that, you know? And, you know, do we do that or do we release an album that's that can potentially be timeless and people will still discover it in 10 years' time, whereas a tour, it's it can it can potentially be forgotten. So we've always sort of been very careful about where we choose to put our money and, and, and our time and resources. Mm. And fair point too. I mean, you don't want to burn out and not do it. I mean, we want to have you guys around in 20 years' time, not just another two years' time. You know, but it's an interesting point you raised there about the labels in Europe. I would have thought Napalm would have been all over you guys, you know that, because they're, they're signing established and legacy acts that have done very well in individual territories and bringing them to Europe. You know what I'm saying? They've, they've, they've done that with um, Alien Weaponry from New Zealand. They're with Napalm. Mm, I, yeah, I would have absolutely. sworn Black and Blue if you didn't tell me that they'd be a nuclear blast band, but they're not. They're a, a, mm. a Napalm band and Devil Driver and Dez and there's a few very sharp people that have signed up with Napalm recently. So, I mean, you know, you know, you guys know exactly what you're doing, but yeah, it's it's a surprise that with an album as strong as what you've got and with a history and a, and a legacy as important to Australian heavy metal as you do have, because you're really one of our preeminent heavy metal bands in 2019 because of the legacy and most importantly, because you're relevant. Because this album here established you as one of the vital players in the scene. But I just thought that, you know, you, you want to get bands from different parts of the world and we, us Australians and uh, to an extent too, South Americans, we tend to be overlooked, don't we? You know, and I think Australia, when you talk to people from overseas, you know, the old uh, ACDC and Rose Tattoo thing, great bands, I'm not knocking <laughs> them at all, but that's all you ever hear. Okay, I'm noticing that yeah. there's a bit of a Jimmy thing starting to come along, but that's really all you ever hear, you know. And uh, South America cops it too, I think, a lot because there are some magnificent bands there. And had a really good conversation with Bill Hudson recently. You know, the guitarist from I Am Morbid. Mm. He's the he's, yeah. his band North, is North Town. Yeah, awesome dude, man. Yep. Awesome guy. But you know, he's had to leave Brazil, and he knew that. You know, mm. uh, he had to leave Brazil yeah. and go to the states, and he's been a wonderful success. But you know, the old uh, and destroy six six six. I think are based in. Um, Belgium or the Netherlands or England, one of the three. Um, yeah, Netherlands, I think. Yeah, Netherlands. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, same, yeah, same thing. They had to relocate. It was just, you know, the opportunities were in Europe, and it was, you know, let's uproot ourselves and, and get onto the other side of the world. And it's a, it's a massive thing to do. And I think, I think for, I mean, this is these are things that we've discussed quite a bit over the years, and we sort of think, mm. you know, if things were five years earlier or ten years earlier, then, you know, before before the, the wives came along or the careers or the children and things like that, you know, when you start to get sort of 
gets uh, established, you know, in, in everyday life, you start to think, oh man, it's just, you know, oh, like a few years earlier, we could have, we could have just thrown it all in, in storage and just gone over there for for a year or two and just seen what happens. And yeah, um, I mean, we've we've approached. I mean, even going back to Napalm, I mean, we've 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 hit up all these labels over the years, you know, and and maybe at some certain points in time, I mean, we probably haven't hit the, at the right time. You know, maybe our timing hasn't been crash hot. Um, with this album, we we didn't really. Um, this is, I think this is the first album where we decided no, no, we're like we'll maybe we're shooting ourselves in the foot, um, but we've really we've taken pride in being DIY. We've always been DIY for the most part, and um, we decided to see how things go with this album. And we knew that we could we could put it out there and do a really good job, and at least it meets mm-hmm. what we've done in the past. And we thought if we can at least do we can be as successful as what we've released in the past, then we're happy. Um, and this album has exceeded everything we've done in the past. It's just ridiculous in just a week. But um, we're, we're sort of looking at it now and going, well, it's giving us leverage and we're getting into conversation through word of mouth. And it's mm-hmm. this very organic grassroots approach. And, you know, I sent a mailing list out last night to everyone that's ordered from us, you know, mm-hmm. over the past several years. And they're, they're on our mailing list and we sort of keep them up to date. And, just said, you know, we got into the ARIA charts yesterday. Like, ridiculous, you know, we were number 20 on the Australian... I was going to um, mention that, was going to be my final point. Chart. Well, congratulations on that. And for yeah. anybody listening well, that thinks that's not a serious accomplishment, it is. You know, I mean, because you're up against the Megan Trainers and, and the Taylor Swifts and all this sort of stuff. And, mate, number 20, it's top 20, mate. Congrats. I mean, did you ever think when you were a kid growing it's... up, you know, in Redcliffe, did, that that would happen? <laughs> Redcliffe, yeah. Well, you know what absolutely I mean? not. I mean, I remember... I remember standing in front of the, the mirror in the back of my door in my bedroom pretending to be James Hetfield and, and my mum walking in and just looking at me going, oh, my God. Just, <laughs> yeah, I had that happen too, door. don't worry. You know, and, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, no. I mean, like, even even a week ago, we, we, we'd we known we put a lot of effort into the album. We pushed pre-orders. We, we really got everyone behind us. And, you know, I was direct messaging every single person I could possibly find from years gone by just to say, hey, you know, just a heads up, you know, if you're interested, blah, 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 if you need any help, I'll hook you up or, do, or whatever, mm-hmm. just trying to cut deals and just trying to get over the line. And and it was this real sort of organic upswell of people that's just getting behind it and getting excited going, wow, yeah, okay, let's do it. And and so we, it was just like, yes, so we had no idea. Like we just, you know, Tim got sent a link, the ARIA link, and, and I had to sort of do a double take and went, what do you mean? Like, uh, how does this work? I don't understand. And I, you know, go a couple couple of ones up, and the Wiggles are on there. Then there's uh, Jimmy Barnes and Hilltop yep. Woods and In Excess and Vi Arts. Uh, Vi Arts like just incredible at the moment. They're, oh, their new album's fantastic. And, yeah. Oh, massive. Yeah, they do so well. But you know, just to see these these you know amazing bands and iconic artists on this list, and I just think, oh well, we're on there too. And, and you know, next week we might not be on there anymore, but who cares? Like, it was just amazing. And so mm. I sent this email last night to everybody and just said, you, you guys made this happen. Like, yeah, okay, we've 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 created the music, but no one would hear it unless it was you guys actually buying the album. It's very cliched and cheesy, but I, I really stressed the point. And, and then I, I sort of put the call to action out to everybody and said, look, you know, we, we, we always need your help and get out there and, and support it. And, and so we, we always do little incentive deals for our inner circle and we, we do little referral uh, deals. So if you refer somebody through to buy the album and they mention your name, then we'll hook you up with free merch, free CDs, free t-shirts, all sorts of stuff. Oh, because, you know, it's it's just it's just a way to get 
it's just to get in front of people's ears. We always say, like, the goal is for people to actually hear a song or the album. Whether they like it or not, we, we can't control that. But if people have got the opportunity to actually hear it, then that's all we care about because mm-hmm. then they can make up their own mind. Uh, and that's always been the, the difficult thing with any artist is just to be heard, you know. And mm-hmm. and uh, yesterday was just um, – I, I haven't I haven't actually – digested it because it's just um i think it's one of those things where maybe in a few days time or maybe a few weeks down the track i'll sit back and go oh wow like the, okay that's that's yeah wow okay yeah straight to the pool room you know <laughs> it's like a really, really cool moment so yeah, cool. and and for an independent completely independent like we've done it all ourselves um, no mainstream radio um it's all been you know if we've been played anywhere it's been sort of community radio digital radio sort of stuff um you know, none of the none of the big guys have picked us up yet at all, um, and not a lot of mainstream press, not a lot of mainstream reviews or anything yet. It's just been very organic DIY grassroots, and we're super proud of everybody that's just helped us and and each other. I saw Mark uh, last night actually. He just quickly stopped by his place and just shook his hand and said, "Congrats, man! I'm like you're an art, aria artist now." <laughs> you know, <laughs> well, top twenty. That's pretty cool. I mean, yeah. Going, yeah. Yeah, at least at least for a week we are, and you know that's, that's pretty cool, you know. So very very cool, mate. That's about it from me. But before I let you go, tell me, tell the listener how they can get in touch with you because you have a wonderful social media presence. It must be said, you've got two podcasts. You're a very approachable guy over social media. You answer your tweets. I really appreciate that, by the way, because God Almighty, the amount of bands that don't attend to their tweets, and I'm not talking about just spam comments on the album or what have you you guys are all over that you've got a wonderful facebook presence so i've mentioned twitter there you're on that you're on facebook but how else can people get in touch with you and listen to your wonderful music uh probably the, the easiest way because yes you're you're right we um probably are addicted to social media <laughs> we're on it all the time and, and <laughs> i think that's been a real strength, good on you, strength to us in the sense that yeah and look we've, we've got to interact with people i mean that's, that's a big part of our success is just connecting and and bringing people into into our our realm you know there i try my best to try not to use the word fans I, I i use the word friends i try to just bring it like they're the extension of the band it's not just the four of us it's interesting Andy. actually fiona, fiona horn said the same thing she goes they're not fans they're friends they're just people you know and and i think for artists that are very down to earth and connected to their fan base that is so true you know you could you just got people yeah. who you share a common interest and that common interest is your band that's yeah, it. Absolutely, absolutely, and it's a it's a big it's a big thing for us. I mean, you know, we'll get on stage and we'll act like like idiots and and you know put on this massive show and look like we're we're this in, these incredible people, but we're we're just a bunch of blokes that just like the same things that everybody else does. And if we weren't on stage, we'd be the ones in the crowd drinking drinking beers and and being idiots uh, in the crowd as well. So it's just like it's just it's a great way of just telling people and showing people that. They are part of what we do, and they have a direct input as far as what happens to this band and where we go, and and even the music that we create. It's, you know, they don't they don't dictate where we go, but it inspires us to keep going and to keep finding ways to to f- keep things fresh and exciting as well. So um, the easiest places is uh, for me because I've got a million different things on the go. Um, my two podcasts, Andy Social and uh, Self Starter, but um, they can go to andydowling.net. I've got a wanky domain uh, for my name. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's got um, that's got the band, it's got all the podcasts and a bunch of other stuff on there. So it's a way to sort of hit one link and find all the links, all the social media pages are there. And uh, for the band, same deal. Uh, if you just go to lord.net.au, um, it's got all the new album information on the front page. It's got all the links to YouTube, Twitter, Vimeo, um, Facebook, Instagram, 
uh, whatever else we've managed to sign up to our, our online store at Bandcamp. Um, everything's everything's all linked in there, so we try to make it as easy as possible. But um, we're on our phones every day, you know, responding, retweeting, you know, interacting, and, and it's it's a lot of fun. It's, you are. It's, I can think of worse things to do. Well, and you should be committed for it, I must say. I'm a, I'm a uni student these days, and I'm taking a journalist journalism student with a social media major, and uh, you guys are textbook on what to do as opposed to what not to do. You're very responsive. You're very engaging. You do appreciate the support you get, mate, and as far as I'm concerned, more power to you and more success to you all. Well, I really appreciate it. Um, that's uh, very nice to hear. And uh, I'm going to tell my wife that when she tells me that I'm on my phone too much, I'll go, ah, well, you might want to listen to this podcast because I was just told <laughs> that uh, well, we're, we're pretty good on social media. So uh, rethink that uh, comment. That, yeah. <laughs> oh. Cool, mate. Well, that's it from me. In terms of- You've been listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A-List online. And my name is Andrew Mackay-Smith. The interview subject that you've just heard from was Andy Dowling. He's the bass player in Lord, and he's also a podcaster. Thanks so much for listening.